Welcome to the Into the Wilderness podcast. You'll notice once again I'm on my own. Byron is away having fun right now. So I'm going to do the intro and the end. It's going to be quite brief because in a week's time, me and Byron are going to do another show with just the two of us because there's been a lot happening in the news over the last few weeks and we thought it deserved a separate show. So it's just going to be me and Byron talking about a few news items. We've done it before and it seemed quite popular. So we're going to do it again. Now, one small thing, I have to say thank you very much to Howard Day and he offered to sponsor our car parking space at Schoon. This is our second offer of it. And like we said with the first first one, we just said, you know, you can pay for our car parking space, but can you donate the money to international poaching? And that was done. So Howard, he donated uh, money to international poaching and sent us the screenshot of it. And yeah, thank you very much. Now, only one small request. And in fact, he didn't even request it, but we're going to do it anyway. If you check out outsidedays.com, I have checked it out. And basically for all of your field sports needs, if you want to go shooting or fishing and so on, go and check that out. And it's a good platform to see what's available in the area that you, you live in. On this week's show, we have Kai. Now, if you have heard the name before, you've probably heard it on Field Sports Channel. And Kai was on last week, and it was, uh, I guess, a special show uh, for his 30th birthday where he went shooting uh, wood pigeons, and then they went and cooked it. And that's kind of the the main thread of the show, I'd say. It's um, cooking, you know, game meat, and, yeah, various other things we talk about as well. As always, we talk about a, a huge variety of things on on the show. I'm not going to give too much away on on the beginning, so you just uh, find out for yourself. Thank you for the huge amount of listeners, actually, that we had uh, for the first part of this month. We've actually beaten our record for the amount of listeners for the month, and we're only halfway through. And we thought last month was a big month uh, with uh, you know Michaela, and we've had Josh James on as well so you know it's really amazing that we we every month we keep breaking our listener numbers and that's down to you guys and thank you to all the people that have been messaging us and emailing us with suggestions and comments and all these things help us guys so if you have any suggestions or comments or people that you would like on the show then email us and we'll try and arrange it we do have some fantastic guests coming on in the next few weeks and this is down to you guys emailing and requesting them so it does work i can't tell you all our guests right now and i know we keep saying this but probably by mid next week i would say that we'll be able to start announcing some of the guests and you need to keep up to date on our Facebook page and and if you listen to the show as well because we are going to be giving out gifts as well, some prizes and there's also going to be some unboxing and yeah, we've got, we've got lots happening over the next few weeks. So yeah, keep keep listening uh, like you are already and thank you to the, the lo- well, loads of you that are leaving reviews on iTunes and Stitcher as well. This podcast is brought to you by the Scottish Association for Country Sports. I hope you enjoy. Kai, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us once again. You joined us very briefly when we did our very first live podcast. So uh, I know that today you are not at home and you're phoning from a hotel. Where have you been and what have you been doing? And uh, why is this a special weekend for you, more importantly? Well, firstly, hello to hello to you both, and it's nice to be on the podcast again. Um, I enjoyed it last time. 
Right now, I'm in the middle of, uh, well, just south of Leicestershire with my good friend Matt Cole from Pigeon Shoot in Leicestershire. And yesterday, we went out pigeon shooting for my 30th birthday. It was actually on Saturday. But prematurely, we went out yesterday and a group of friends and decided to um, hit the fields on the drillings and uh, have a go pigeon bashing. So that's what we did. We did that, and then I ended up cooking some of the pigeons over a fire and um, basically on over over five Dutch ovens and skillet pans and made a pigeon Philly cheesesteak sandwiches for all the pigeon shooters. Oh, I think I saw, yeah, a, I saw, that, I saw yeah. a picture of that online. It was, uh, I, in fact, I commented. It looked really tasty. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's it just a simple idea, really, because what I wanted to do was just you know, give something back to one that came for the day. And, you know, I, li- I like to cook everything fresh and what I've harvested. So all the pig- some of the pigeons that we shot, I mean, I shot with Andy Crow yesterday. So oh, was he there, was he? Yeah, yeah, I shared a hide with him and, and David Wright, but realistically, I, I, I pretty much probably cooked what he shot, because I just, I just watched most of the time, where he just shot what I missed, basically, so... <laughs> <laughs> he's um, quite a shot, as Andy Crow. Yeah, yeah, he's an awesome shot, and uh, he's really good company in the hide, so it's all around a good day yesterday, and he ate most of the pigeon sandwiches, really, about four of them, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so will, will we be able to see that on Fieldsports Channel at some point? I, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. D- David's uh, videoed all my misses, and um, we've had a good banter in the hide. And then uh, at the end, he just catches me um, finishing off the pigeon, the pigeon sandwiches for the boys and stuff. So there's, you should be able to see that. I don't know if it's going to be in this week's or next week's or, or whenever, whenever it comes out. But it was definitely documented. Brilliant. No, brilliant. And uh, I know that uh, you know that you've had a few things sort of changing around and what you're doing. Uh, recently, what what what's in store for you for the, re- the rest of this year? Because oh, you're, uh, you're you do a lot of stuff on Field Sports Channel. We've seen you do some really cool things. We talked about uh, you doing the the reindeer hunt uh, when you were on last time. But what's uh, what's the plan for the rest of this year? Um, well, the plan is basically I've um, uh, I directed the Wild Food Catering Company, which I started about five years ago, and it's uh, within the last. A uh, month or so, or a few, a few weeks, I decided to pass that on to the, my other business partner because it's as much as I, I love doing it, it's taking too much time, and I wasn't getting enough time to go and do the things I really wanted to do, shooting and other bits and pieces. It got quite commercial, and doing outside catering in that respect is always quite risky regarding weather and other risks because um, it's outside catering. There's no guarantees, so. Um, and plus, I have a full-time job as well. So trying to juggle everything like that was was quite stressful. So I've gone to I've got an idea of going back to what I really want to do. It's still cooking and, and catering, but it's more doing outdoor workshop type things, showing people how to skin, butcher, um, cook outdoors, and fires and things like that. Oh, great! So I like, I like the sound of that. Yeah, that sounds awesome. I mean, that's that's kind of, <laughs> that's kind of that's what we do just for entertainment. <laughs> that, that's a good well, day exactly. out for us. I mean, I, I do it a lot, a lot anyway, for friends and family, and you know, I've I've got bits and pieces, but it's it's nice to be able to share some most, you know, things like when I was in when I was in Norway and things like that, and I picked up things when I was in Hungary. I've learned how to do goulash outdoor, all these little bits I've learned along the way. I'd like to share it with other people. Uh, I think there is a huge amount of people out there that do want to go and do those things. You know, learn yeah, how to cook yeah. meat around the fire and and yeah, prepare definitely. meat and, and so on. It's just sort of a return to more sort of primitive roots, isn't it? And it's fun. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I'm. I'm more. I'm more excited about just learning new things as well along the way and showing people how to, um, 
yeah, to pass, passing on some of the knowledge. But I'm just, it just fascinates me about cooking meat outdoors, like meat on fire, proper caveman style, you know. Yeah. So it's, I'm, I'm fascinated with Argentinian style cooking, the asado type stuff, and, and just pit cooking and all that type <laughs> of stuff. That's still, I've done it, but, I've, you know, there's still more to explore and learn about it, which is great. I, I saw a, a program with them cooking in South America, and I think it could have been like the, the gauchos or something that were doing it, and they basically take a whole animal, and then they just splay it, and then they put it on a cross, and just have it just hovering above the fire for hours and hours. Oh my God, well, I, was, yeah, this is, I was salivating this is, watching it. Yeah, but this is what I was, um, this is what I was, get, I was getting at. It's, it's, it's mainly lamb. Um, you can do it with pig and other things like that, but you basically make a crucifix. Where you, make, you make it out of uh, metal, steel, or you can make it out of wood. And then you, you display that over the fire at an angle, and then that will slowly cook it throughout the day. And you just keep, just keep marinating it, and it's just absolutely amazing meat. I haven't actually had breakfast. I'm feeling <laughs> it's making me feel yeah, like even even more hungry. <laughs> I haven't had breakfast either. I'm, I'm at a hotel that's got no breakfast I and mean, hot breakfast. So I need to go find some bacon somewhere because my, <laughs> my belly's turning. At the moment. As, as, a, as I got a beer garden or something, you should just spark off a fire and start cooking in the back. I, actually, yeah, they've got some kind of barbecue thing outside, but. Um, I'll have to maybe have to raid their some local squirrels or, maybe or something. I'll just get a shotgun at the car and shoot something. I don't know. <laughs> So what sort of, is this going to be, are you going to visit different parts of the country and sort of give a list of dates and, and locations that you're going to be in and uh, people sign up or how's, how's it going to work? Right. Uh, I'm taking it slow because I've just, uh, I've just um, moved on from the Wildfair Catering mm. Company, but I'm still, I, um, I still have interest in the company. I, I still advise and things like that. But my plan at the moment is to just in, enjoy the summer pick and just learn things, more things as well. <clears throat> And then from then on, I want to do, I want to do some workshops with with um, kids and stuff like that to teach teach young people how to how to how to do this type of stuff because you know it's it's important that we teach a younger generation. So I would like to try groups and things like that just for a little bit. And then what I plan on doing after that is just slowly start it, starting up starting up workshops. And then still in the catering side of things, I will take up venues around the UK and work with people and then probably do workshops around the UK so everyone's got a chance to come along. No, that sounds brilliant. I mean, you know, I was just when you were saying that your well, one of the focuses will be young people. I think that's a brilliant way to engage actually. You know, with the, yeah, no, the very, very youngest generations. Yeah. And and from what I've seen, younger kids do want to get stuck in with, you know, cooking of meat. I mean, there's fire involved normally. I mean, that's that's all. Yeah. Every kid I'm likes sold. the fire. <laughs> Yeah, any, anything with anything you know, with fire and knives and and stabbing and cutting things is great for children. So um, when I when I when I did the scout group a couple of years ago, just uh, for a friend of mine, I, I just they wanted to, a little um, introduction and a bit of a workshop again. I um I took some pheasant, partridge, and uh, rabbits with me. I think that's three I took, and then I showed them how to debreath. And, and, and you know, identify each, each species and stuff, and a little bit of background about the species. And then we, we, we took the meat off, and then we I brought my um, mincer in, and then we minced up with some herbs and seasoning and apple juice. So we patted these amazing burgers from them, and then they cooked their own burgers. And so they did the whole thing. You know, they 
they they debreasted it, they they minced it, they put seasoning and flavour into it, they cooked it, and then they ate it, and they and there was nothing left, nothing left at all. No, that's awesome. It, it is the highlight of a hunt is the consumption of what you've harvested. I mean, that that's what it boils oh, down yeah. to. It's the experience of doing it and then being able to take that home and eat it. And uh, no meal tastes better than one that you've managed to take yourself, whether that be a fish or a deer or, you know, whatever else, a pheasant. So uh, well, as a matter of interest, what was the sort of reaction? I mean, there must have been people there, or sorry, kids there, that hadn't seen a f- what their food looks like with its feathers still on. It was it was actually quite funny because um, some of them were quite shy, quite coy, and um, they were just watching from a distance. And I remember one particular kid, because um, they all had these little knives each, because they were scouts, they're a bit older than, than cubs, sort of mm. thing, so they, they, they were allowed knives. And while I was showing him what to do with the, the pheasant, he was just more interested in trying to poke his eye out with a knife. So <laughs> it's... <laughs> <laughs> you get, if you've got different characters, and yeah, that's great because I mean everyone learned something. Everything, everyone took something away from that. Whether someone watching at the back or someone trying to stab their eye out of a pheasant, but at the end of the day, they, they all come up to me and said thank you very much, and a big smiles on their faces. And to me, that's what it was all about because I know that they've done that now, and you know if if, if they want to if they want to pursue that later on in life, then they've got a little bit of knowledge of how to do it. Yeah, I think it also kind of opens the doors and opens their mind because when they see something on television that's maybe hunting related and they see people shooting pheasants or shooting deer, they will remember back to that time where once upon a, you know, there they were in scouts and they were taking this produce that you're seeing on the television and they actually consumed it. Whereas if they hadn't had that experience, then there might be other sort of bias built into their mindset through the media about things not being eaten and just being shot for fun so I well, think well, really exact, exactly yeah and it's to me uh, again like what i mentioned in the previous podcast a big part of what i do with the cooking side of things is, is is a good justification of why we do it and it's and to me when you go out there and and, and you take a life um you need justification strong justification and it's food, and you know, and the food side of things of it is is, is a strong way of, of showing what 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 we do because to have that skill of being able to harvest your own meat, to take it, um, and to prepare it, to cook it, and to eat it is a, is a great skill in life to be able to do that, and it's something that you know I think most people should really take notice of or get involved in because if you go and take your meat from a supermarket shelf. I mean, fair enough. You know, if you eat meat, that's, that's fair enough. But really, you, you, you have no idea what goes into it for that packet to be on the shelf. And so for us and for yourselves, so doing what we do, we know that morally and ethically, everything that we do is right, you know? Mm. Yeah, because you're in control of it from the very start to the very end. Uh, talking about supermarkets, exactly. I was actually just uh, I was reading up on a couple of things that we wanted to talk about <laughs> for the podcast, and uh, oh, yeah, this this came think, up. Yeah, I think Daryl actually found this last week, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, last week, the week before, uh, and it was te- it was specifically talking about Tesco, and they'd been caught out because they were using sort of English. Oh, the, the names, the, yes, the names you saw it. Farm, farm names, farms yeah. that never even existed, or had no. existed in the past to sell um, non-UK 
produce uh, and mainly meat i think that they were actually referring to so you were having eggs, you, eggs you, as well it was eggs too yeah. mm. Um, so you're having European and rest of world produce packaged in packaging that looks like an English home farm. <laughs> Called like Rochdale Home Farm. Yeah, exactly. And, but that, that's a perfect illustration of exactly what you've just been saying, is that you know what you don't actually know. And I mean, there is a lot of, you know, for, for me personally, if I, if I go and buy meat, which we don't buy meat very often, um, I go to the local butcher. Because I know that the local yeah. butcher sources from basically, you know, all the farms around them and, and they sell a lot of game as well. Yeah, they do. And with the butcher, I'm not saying this for all supermarkets because I've actually, uh, but with some of them, you know, if you buy chicken, for example, and, yeah. you know, it's plump chicken and then you put it in your frying pan and then half your, of your, it's full your, of water. Your frying pan. Your frying pan. <laughs> your, your frying pan. Half of it's full of water, but when you actually go and get good quality meat, there's no water comes out of it, really. Mm. No, yeah, they they pump it with all types of water and stuff, just some, just a make it look bigger and, and it's just it's just not right i mean what kind of confidence does that give give people you know when that comes out on the news that the meat you actually buy is actually not from a farm it's not it, it doesn't exist from that farm that farm doesn't even exist but but does and that really surprise us i mean i mean i mean three four years ago they were selling us horse packaged as beef so yeah. i mean the, the fact you, know, this you is are right <laughs> thinking about it you read it now you think oh just one of those other things that's going on that's, you know stuff. because because there's been so much it's been so much um, of all this going on, like you said, the horse meat scandal and everything, that it just it just makes you lose confidence in, in actually what you buy off the shelves. You, you have no, you don't know where it's where it's come from. Um, sometimes you don't even know what's in it if it's processed, and it's just so for doing what we do is it's pure, and it's like it's just right morally, ethically, and it. And it's the right thing to do. So, and I don't expect everyone to be able to hunt and do this, but to have knowledge of where it comes from. So, in one of our workshops, in when I, where I start going out and teaching people and showing people, they will they will they will get an insight into this about what goes into their mouths, what the animal feeds on, um, how to cook it because it's wild. It's got not much fat content, so you cook it slightly differently. Some things and. They'll get all of this, and they'll have a, a good understanding of, of where that meat comes from. Yeah, you know, we're in a funny situation uh, the world over where we re- really rely on the very large supermarket chains. And I think yeah. a lot of it has to do with laziness because the vast majority of small villages and towns and cities around the world have multiple butchers in them. Uh, oh, yeah. But there probably would be more. Well, there definitely would be more there would if, be. if we didn't go and buy our sort of mass packaged meat from supermarkets. Now, like Daryl was saying, I'm not saying all, all meat in, in supermarkets is bad. That would be a ridiculous statement. But there is far more control over it. And you're, you're far more connected to it if you're buying it from a very local source. Uh, yeah, because obviously, you know, yeah. Tesco or Asda, th- those are chains. And they're obviously sourcing far and wide because they have a... You know, a a massive amount of uh, shops and, and actual volume of meat that they'll be passing through all of their um, outlets, you know, every day. Um, so yeah, I mean, my 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 advice to people is if you if you can, try and source try and source locally. And uh, certainly, I, I, I there's a certain amount of satisfaction of going to your local butcher as well. And it's um, you know we, you end up building a bit of a relationship with them too. And they you know they tell you when they've got really good cuts of meat in and. I think I oh, think it's important. Yeah. 
That's, that, that's the great thing about it. If you want, really want to dig into, you know, when you've um, purchased your meat from the butcher, I know our local butcher, he'll, he'll take you around the back and show you exactly where they cut it up. Hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, and if you get a good relationship with your butcher, and if, and if he is a, a good butcher as well, then he'll look after you as a customer, and he'll give you, he'll tell you about different cuts, he, you know, that you've probably not had before, and he'll, he'll, he'll help you out. He might even give you um, a little bit extra now and then because you're a loyal customer. Yeah. And But you'll notice, if you go to a good butcher, you'll definitely notice the different quality of meat that you get than from a processed supermarket made up farm <laughs> yeah. yeah made up farm from brazil or something like that i don't know <laughs> yeah uh the one thing i was uh that comes up from time to time with regard to game if you're talking specifically of game is it yeah there are a lot of people put off because they don't know what to do with it you touched on that a few minutes ago and you saying you've got to cook it slightly differently and we, yeah. we're kind of brought up on chicken and beef and, and lamb to some extent but yeah. very few people from a young age, unless you're in a family that you know pr- probably hunts a lot of game, you don't get a chance to see it very often. And so when you do have the opportunity or you see it... I mean, I actually saw it the other day when I was in Lidl. They had uh, yeah, quite I a know. lot of game. They've kangaroo got, as well. They've got kangaroo, they've got ostrich, uh, they've got wild boar, they've got pheasant, they did have duck, and then uh, when... The, in fact, they got grouse as well. Yeah. So, But... If you look at that selection, it's quite small compared to oh, everything yeah. else. And it doesn't really sell. Um, no. So what, I mean, what would you say to encourage people not to be afraid of it as a chef? Um, first of all, like, people could be aware that cooking game is different to cooking a, um, most of, the, of your normal farmyard animals that you get in a supermarket. It's, it requires a little bit of attention and it depends on what species you cook you're cooking differently so for example you're cooking venison it hasn't got much fat content within the meat so it's going to dry out pretty quick so if you're going to do a steak um my advice to you is either get used to eating steak rare to medium rare if you've not done it before mm-hmm. but how it, else would you eat it <laughs> good question well, exa- exactly you might, you might as well have a beef burger otherwise <laughs> i mean really so you, you need you need to keep that kind of that moisture within the meat and, and, and that flavour within the meat. So whenever I do a steak, I, I, I pan fry or I, I grill it on the hot coals outside, but mm-hmm. never, over, never overcook it and make sure you leave it to rest because that's important with meat. Let it rest, let everything settle back in that meat and let the flavours stay, stay locked in. Because if you ever cook a steak really quickly and you just quick put it, done it, put it on your plate and then you cut it open because you're hungry and you can't wait, you'll see all the juices and all the goodness will just pour out your, of, on the plate like gravy. Mm. It won't actually stay in the meat, a lot of it. So you need to let that meat rest for, for depends on the size of the meat, really, five minutes or so. I, I put it in the oven on very low for five minutes just to let it stay warm but rest. Mm. And that will lock in the flavors. So when you do eat it, it'll be much better. And what about what about pheasants? Uh, I mean, I'm fairly lazy with pheasants because I tend to take all the meat off them and chuck them in a mixed game pie. Yeah, that, that's what I do with them most often. That, that is a good way of, of doing it, Byron. But the with pheasant, I, I actually spoke to a Michelin star chef um, the other week, actually a TV chef, and I was when I was shooting with him the other week um, about this, and he said he had the same opinions as me as his. The breasts, the breasts ideally are good for 
pan fry them. Mm-hmm. Um, you can you can you can pan fry them, but because it's quite there's no fat on it again. If you overcook it, it gets really really dry. Mm-hmm. So I tend to pan fry uh, my my breasts, or just just put them in the oven for a little bit, but not overcook. And with the legs, I like to slow cook. Okay. So you can you can even make a curry or put it put it into like a nice casserole or a, a nice a Moroccan tagine or something. But it's it's slow cook the legs. There's a lot of sinews in there. Yeah, there is. Yeah. And you just need to cook that slowly so it falls off the bone, and that's what that's that's what you'll you'll get the best out of the legs. Um, but for the breasts, myself personally, I like to either just quickly roast or pan fry to make sure it doesn't get dry. Mm. Yeah, my so I do tend to separate it. I do like to tend to separate the legs from the breast. Yeah, that's, that's I, I like pheasant. Yeah, no, my my girlfriend doesn't like it, and dad, my dad's not all that fond of it either. But they both really like partridge. Um, yeah, a lot of people partridge is slightly sweeter in the meat. Mm. Um, and if you actually talk about pheasant and partridge, another good recipe that I do have that you've seen on Field Sports Channel would be where I um, I take the breasts and I hammer them. I hammer them with a steak hammer and cling film, so mm. they kind of become um, it comes it comes flat and the surface can even. Then I, then I, then I dip that in egg and breadcrumbs and I fry that in in oil, so kind of more like an escalope thing. I think I mentioned this last post. I, I, I've well. actually seen that video. It's, yeah, I've it's seen really it. Good, yeah. We're, we're, we're yeah, going yeah, to have to put a recipe uh, menu in the <laughs> description now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I promise you, like. It's recipes like this I like to teach the younger generation because it's recipes like this that they will like because it's it's kind of fast foody but it's it's game and it's kind of a, a good way of getting them onto it again like not like a traditional stew or a pie because some of these are old hat now yeah they taste nice but for kids and stuff they you know they they want a sub sandwich they want cheese they want they want coleslaw they want mayonnaise or ketchup in it <laughs> but you can do that with game. As yes, you just talked about, yeah. yeah. You can make fast food recipes a day. It's just about being imaginative with it. Yeah. We, and it's exactly that. You can make really nice burgers, meatballs, sausages. You can make those, you know, like I said, the, the pheasant escalop things. You can, do, you can do so much. You can do so much with it. Um, and that will help inspire the younger generation. Mm. Now my dad makes and a I'm not, mean... I'm not going to do that. Fast food is the way to go forwards, but it's a good way to get the interest of the children. Yeah, an introduction to it. I'm, I'm not sure if uh, McDonald's or Burger King will... Uh, sort sort of pheasant burgers. Pheasant burgers. <laughs> That'd be a good well, campaign. They're usually good ingredients and stuff. And, uh, I mean, they, they absolutely love it. Like I said about the scouts and the, the burgers I made just from the pigeon and... Oh, sorry, the rabbit, the partridge and the pheasant. They absolutely loved it. And it's, it's, it's things like that that will, will get their attention and, and get them drawn on to games. So, because... People think game tastes gamey and mm. horrible, and you have to hang a maggot until it's uh, a maggot, hang a face <laughs> until it's green or blue. I mean, By- Byron's uh, done that sometimes, <laughs> just for variation. He's it's, like, "Oh, that's but, enough flies on it for me today." But we don't need to do that. No, We've got don't. fridges and refriger- proper refrigeration these days. We don't need to hang it until it's you know it's to, to the, 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 the flavours out of it's really gamey. Mm. Um, you can. You can eat it relatively fresh, so yeah. I suppose that's that's the key. If you're not, if you don't have a palate for really gamey 
um, type species. Like, you know, grouse is incredibly gamey no matter really what yeah. you do with it and it increases if you hang it. But yeah, just what you said, just don't hang it as long. Uh, it yeah, will exactly. have a slight reduction in the amount of game flavor, but if you're not a massive fan of that, then yeah, don't I, hang I, it. As I long. had grouse for the first time last year and I thought it was really good. Uh, Are I, you a fan yeah, of it, eating grouse? I, I didn't Kai? think it was too strong at all. No, I, I, I like it, but again, again, it depends how long it's been hung for. And Ours were like fresh. Tra- traditionally, with the traditional recipes, it's hung for quite a while, and it's, and it's quite game and stuff, and that's what, put pe- that's what puts a lot of people off game. And I have a lot of people come up to me saying, oh, things like pigeon, no, I don't like pigeon. It, it tastes like liver, and it's dry, and it's horrible. And I'm sorry, it's only because you've cooked it wrong. Yeah. You've not had it right. Do you like steak? Yes. Well, pigeon actually tastes a bit like steak if you do it right. You know, cook it 40 seconds on each side of a hot pan, leave it to rest, slice it up, it's nice and pink in the middle, and then it just put, put just a little bit of seasoning on it, and it's, and it's like steak. That's why yesterday I made the pigeon Philly cheesesteak sandwiches, because I substituted the steak for pigeon, mm. and it's spot on. It's great. I, I think pigeon is one of the most underrated meats out there. I absolutely yeah, pigeon love pigeon. Pigeon is really nice. And it's plentiful. You know, we have... We have millions of them over here and and people shoot them and and if you know someone who sh- who shoots you can get them for almost free and it's and it's the meat is so good as you know yourself mm. it's it's crazy not to pass up on it i saw um just online actually i saw a game t- dealer advertising squirrel i've never had squirrel i've eaten it actually oh yeah squirrel's delicious but you, again um, you got to cook it right. I did. Uh, my friend Matt Dabber from um, Air Arms South Africa. Oh he's, yes, he's, got, he's, got, he's, he's a got character. Kind of, he's a character. He's he's only twenty one, and the knowledge he has, you know, he, he shouldn't be twenty one with that amount of knowledge about that type of thing. But it's his passion, and he's a really really nice guy. And he came and stayed with me for a week, and we went squirrel shooting. So we shot a couple of squirrels. Went to and I made like a like a. A stew in a in a pot with a Dutch oven. As in South Africa, they call them poikies. Yeah, poiky pot. I've got one. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So he was he was telling me a little bit about that, and I said, "Well, this is a Dutch oven, just hanging it over the fire." And we made a stew with cider and a few other things in it, and it was really really nice. But with with, with squirrel, it's a bit it's a bit like it's like a miniature rabbit. Really, it's <laughs> white meat, but it's, it's I think it's a little bit more nuttier in the in the fl- in the taste. Yeah. And um, I did a dinner party for quite an eccentric businessman two years, three years ago now, I think it was, and he wanted a really weird menu for his, hmm. for his guests. So I went to this quite, this is quite a big mansion out in the middle of the country in Kent, near where I am, and I teamed up with another chef to come up with these really bizarre ideas for him. And some of, so some of these ideas, let me put on the table, were rook pie. Yeah. We did a rook pie. We did a um, the canopies. We had we had snails in in um, garlic potato deep fried. Oh, I, I enjoy snails, uh, but yeah, I, I, I have to, I have to say that it just tastes more like garlic than anything else. Maybe that's why I, I enjoy it. it. It just tastes like garlic mushroom. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's <laughs> that's yeah. That's a good way to say it, actually. Um, but I, I like snails. But so we, we we put them in we put them in this potato and boil them in, in egg. The balls that is, and then breadcrumbs and deep fried them with parsley mayonnaise. That was nice. Um, but one thing I did do was the confit squirrel. So basically, I I took the squirrel legs. I used the bat legs for this recipe, and I put them in a, in a in a dish, 
and I um, and I slightly salted them with, with, and put thyme in them and pressed them and pressed them for a while in the fridge just to just to let them rest for a bit. And then um, I covered it over with pork fat because obviously there's no there's no fat. So I'm taking the traditional kind of French uh, recipe of con- duck confit, uh, but doing it with with squirrel. So I covered it with pork fat, a lard, if you like, and then. Um, I slow cooked it in the oven for about an hour and a half because it's it's, uh, it's only a small it's only a small small creature, so mm. it didn't need too long. About an hour and a half to two hours, and then just so the meat was got getting tender, and then you can store it. Then you can take it out and you can actually store store your meat like that under the fat for quite a, a period of time because there's no air getting to it. Huh. But when you want to use it, just gently just put it in the oven, melt the fat, and then you fry it off. Or put it in the oven, and then it, it's absolutely delicious, tender. But what I did, I did an Oriental Chinese barbecue sauce to go with it, and I did oh. with honey and Chinese five spice and soy sauce and loads of stuff. And then I just drizzled it, drizzled it over, it and used them as canapes, and they were amazing. You've just ruined the toast that I have for uh, breakfast because <laughs> <laughs> now I want that. You know, well, I've, not even had, I've not even had breakfast yet, and my stomach's <laughs> doing somersaults down there. <laughs> no, I, I want to ask you a quick question. What's the strangest thing you've eaten? Or prepared? Same thing. Really. Um, okay, then. Uh, the stra- one, of the, one of the strangest things I've eaten is, for myself, fox. Mm, I, I, can, I can join you on that. I've eaten I can join there. you on that as well. Hands up. Thank um, you, Byron, <laughs> for not telling I, me. <laughs> I, again, me and, the sh- uh, me and my friend, the chef, we were quite curious to what we do. So we made ourselves a curry with with um, with fox. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are like, oh, God, how can you eat that? I said, well, we just wanted to see what it's like. Mm-hmm. We shoot these animals for pest control and vermin. We have justification for that. But whenever you say about eating fox, you're like, oh, God, no, it's like eating a dog. And it's like, well, the Koreans do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, really, I just, we wanted to know what does it taste like? So we did a couple of methods. We took the loins out, and we know it's a quite a funky, musky smell with fox. So what what we decided to do is put it put it in a in, in brine, just just salt water brine, for half a day or so, and then we do that. Then we wash it clean, and then we pan fried it into like steaks, hmm. and it was really nice. It is. I was it's really, not really bad. Surprised. You know what, if I hadn't been told, because I wasn't told I was eating fox, because there was various other meats there at the same time. Yeah. Um, this was Byron's doing. <laughs> and uh, I wouldn't have known it was fox if he hadn't told me afterwards. Exactly. And so a lot of people say it's disgusting. Most of them haven't even tried it. It's, it's only like they've heard rumors about it. But actually, every you know, like me and... Me and, me and our friend, we were so surprised how nice it was. So we did this go and goat curry recipe because we thought we'll try and do something like that because sometimes um, if it's going to be tough or whatever or it's going to quite be quite musky, a good curry is a good way of <laughs> hiding Covering something, Covering it up, yeah. But for a meat substitute, we tried that. So we, we, tried, we, we tried the loins and they were really nice. I was very impressed. And then we went for the haunch. We we cubed it up, and then we we cooked it in this go go and goko recipe, and again it was really really nice. So it's a, a lot of it's folklore. People say it's horrible because it does a, a fox doesn't smell very nice. Yeah, they do stink. Yeah. 
But so we did all these things, and I was just like yourselves. I was I was quite pleasantly surprised. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, I try not to think about it too much. But the one thing that puts me off a, a fox is not the taste, because I think we can all agree they actually taste pretty good. It's that you're eating an animal that eats a lot of other rubbish. I mean, um, I thought about this, but then I just think to myself that we eat wild boar. Yes, and, true, true. And, yeah, I was just going to say that. And, and, and we eat many fish as well that are bottom feeders. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, There's fish. Yeah, fish are wild boar. A lot of a lot of other animals. Chickens will eat anything. You know, mm. they will peck at anything on on the floor. So there is that, but we don't understand there is other animals that do that too that we already eat. Yeah, I mean, I, I was just going to say also with the foxes is they. I, I probably should have qualified that, that they eat a lot of, well, they do eat carrion, although, yeah. you know, a fox out in, far away from the cities, I wouldn't, I wouldn't eat something that had been, uh, you know, around the fringes of a city, but if you've got a, no. a fox that's in sort of deepest uh, rural Scotland or you know, down in the, the wildernesses of, uh, of England, you know, they're, they're yeah. eating a lot of, you know, they're eating voles and mice and you know, all, all manner of things, and, they, you know, they're catching a lot of stuff which is actually... You know, live. They're not eating a huge amount of carrion, but they they will. They will if they come across it. If there's the opportunity. What, what's the strangest thing you've eaten, Brian? Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think now. Uh, I had, I've had, sh- I had chicken. Uh, obviously, chicken is not chicken. <laughs> oh, crazy! Going out there <laughs> with a chicken. Chicken is not unusual. However, I did have chicken bultong when I was in South Africa. That is quite time. strange, actually, for Biltong. Yeah. Oh, that's pretty cool. Uh, I mean, I've, I've eaten, you know, crocodile and hippo and elephant and stuff, yeah. which, okay, for, uh, that, that is pretty unusual, but chicken Biltong, uh, yeah, I didn't like it that much, but I had to try it. it yeah, you need, I think you need a dark, a dark meat to make. Have you ever, have you ever made or tried Biltong, Kai? Yes, I have, yes. My, um, uh, my South African, my business partner for the Wildfire Catering Company, um, the guy who's still running now, Chris, um, me and him, he's, he's, from, he's from South Africa, oh, okay. and we, we made some together, and he brought some over as well from South Africa, and mm. I absolutely loved it. I can eat it all day long. Oh, we, we, we were weaned on it as, a, yeah, as kids. My, uh, my mum is, well, she's just finished a batch. We, we get a batch every every uh, every so often made at home with daryl we, so we've, we've just um finished filming episode four of our series which is launching on uh, this well this by sunday. the time this podcast goes on yeah, it I won't know. be this we're sunday, saying this sunday it's for probably you about four or five sundays <laughs> yeah. ago for, for you it's this sunday uh and okay. episode four daryl goes out and we're shooting rodeo out in the way up in the hills and that rodeo, the whole backstrap of that was all turned into bultong, and it was superb. In fact, I, you know, I've eaten a lot of bultong around around uh, Africa and various different countries there. And I say, I don't know if it's just because it's like home cooked food, but my mom still yeah. makes some of the best bultong there is. It's fa- it's fantastic. It's what you're used to as well, yeah. isn't it? So you've got that memory of whenever you taste your mom's bultong. It's mm. you've got that from from childhood, and that's another big thing for it as well. Rodia makes excellent bultong, by the way. If yes, you're yeah, Rodia is fantastic. Me and I, I've made um, teriyaki jerky with it before, and it's it's, it's absolutely delicious. So, what I is mean, the? Um, I, I've had jerky, which is obviously yeah. a, an American version of bultong. But what's the difference? When I, well, I, when I was know. when I was based um, out in, out in Bahrain, um, obviously they had loads of jerky. They didn't have bultong because it was an American base, and yeah. so I. Initially, I hated it, uh, but they have so many different variations. You soon find the one you want. And the thing that I found the most about it, it's a lot wetter for one. 
Um, yeah. And I don't know. They for the ones I had, uh, the ones that I liked was the only was like the chili ones, the ones with more added flavor, more flavor than the yeah. meat. I don't know what they actually do to the meat to make yeah, it. Yeah, I think a lot of American jerky has a lot of stuff put in it. To yeah. be honest with you, but a lot of Americans they they make they make home they make it at home too. There's actually in the UK, not many of us do that. No. But they have like they have like what what you might call processed jerkies where they mince it up and they add the flavour into it and they they have these you can even have these guns you shape it and you just you dry it out and it's kind of you can have sticks okay. of kind of processed meat or you can or you can have where you just cut it thin thin you cut it thinly and then you like teriyaki you could put like brown sugar and soy sauce and stuff with it and you can just marinate it and then dry that out th- if you like or smoke it so there's two different types in that respect but with your biltong um like correct me if i'm if i'm wrong here but like obviously what makes the biltong as well is you've got you've got your spices and you've got they tend to be quite like thicker in the meat as well mm-hmm. yeah not, it is pretty thick. Not, you know not as, uh, not as thin and I guess in some places South Africa, it's quite dry heat out there. Sometimes you could dry them outside, hang them outside. And no. Yeah, them they dry. do, yeah. Under uh, some of the guys, under trees. Yeah, whereas to. like in this country, other places, you have to put that in, you know, either... Put well, ours is, ours in is in a box. Ours is in an uh, aired heat box. That's how yeah. we, we make it. It's actually it. just dried with a light bulb. Yeah. 40 watt light yeah, bulb. Yeah, Basically, yeah, it's a light bulb. We <laughs> made one with a fan in it. Mm. We, we, had a, we had a fan in it and, and a light bulb. and that, that, So the light, you get the heat from the light. Yeah. And it pushes the air around, and, it, and then it dries it out. And that, that's a good way of doing it, but the temperature in this country, you can't just no. hang it outside, right? No. When, you, when you walk into the, the butchers there, every single butcher in, in South Africa and the vast majority of African countries will have racks of bultong behind, behind their heads at the counter. Like massive stakes of yeah. them as well. Oh. Yeah. And like you say, they're, you know, they're different thicknesses as well. I, mean, I, I like my bultong pretty dry i don't yeah, I, I don't like, like it wet in the middle but no, you can, they I'll can get i'll have mine much wetter than yeah. in yours i like it so that when you when you break it it just sort of snaps into dust yeah that's how i enjoy it no it, it's it's just a good way of preserving meat and having it and, is you know again it's part of the process in your whatever you take from the field and you can you can make like recipes in the kitchen and then you can have something you can keep for a long time in the snacks and stuff which is which is great. But the one thing I would say, when my friend Matt came over from South Africa, what he did bring over, which was really, really nice, was actually pigeon, pigeon biltong. So if you ever oh. me, you know, I would recommend people to try that. Because I will try that. Pigeon's plen- plentiful and make mm. biltong out of it. It's great. I don't, I mean, the, we don't really have the palate for that kind of meat. You know, we're not big jerky, not big biltong eaters here in the UK. And I don't know whether that's no. just because of a lack of exposure. Well, I, I, I think what it is, um, after speaking to quite a few friends about this topic, in America, in certain states, people, a lot more people hunt than they do over here. Mm-hmm. They have a tag system. Um, you know, they can't sell their meat in a lot of states to a butcher to sell to the public. So in America, a lot of, a lot of people who hunt... It's for personal consumption. You can take it to a butcher, pay the butcher, but the meat has to come back to you. Or they have this system where you can actually donate it to um, like homeless charities. Yeah, I've like seen that. that. It's a really good system. That. Which is really good, but it stops people from poaching and selling the meat on and all types of things. But what it does make people do is process their own meat and use up everything. 
and a lot of that is with jerk. That's why America, a lot of Americans love jerky as well, mm-hmm. and, and and all that kind of things because it's they a lot of them process it at home, and yeah. they're sort of more exposed to it. Whereas over here, we you know, I, I would say it's got more, it's got a lot more popular recently, and biltong has kind of got a little bit fashionable now. Yeah, you see it, say. you see it in um, some of the big it. shops. Is now. it little? You see yeah, it in little. Packets. I've seen it, but I've also seen it when yeah. I walk around Tesco and stuff like that. Before I've seen it. Um, in the bags, I tell you what, though, it's really expensive. Yeah, it is very. Yeah, expensive. it is very expensive, and that, that's what puts a lot of people off. But for all of us who hunt out there, and you can get meat, it's very cheap. Learn to yeah. do it yourself. Do it at home. Package it up. Put them in kilner jars, or put you know in seal bags, and you've got yourself some snacks. But it's, once you once you know how to do it, you you never forget it, and you'll always do it. It's a really good way of preserving your meat. Yeah, May- maybe not send your um, young kids to school with it in the pet lunch because uh, <laughs> that's what my parents did to my brother when he was in primary school, and they confiscated it off him because they thought my parents were trying to kill him. <laughs> oh, you're joking! No, <laughs> I, they didn't know what it was. The, yeah, I, no, I mean, I must have only no. been primary. Yeah, because I think I went to that school in primary two, so I was probably in primary two. And and our dad was working in Africa. Uh, yeah, that, so that I point can't. Time, so he was bringing back a lot of meat. Yeah, <laughs> I think this might have actually been brought back bultong as opposed to stuff that we'd made, and I had it in a little uh, tin foil pouch in my packed lunch box, as you do when you're a little <laughs> kid. And I started tucking into this, and as teachers do when you're in primary school canteens, you know they're walking around making sure that people aren't fighting and that sort of thing. And uh, yeah. they saw me with this <laughs> stick of well, they didn't know what it was, and they they refused to let me eat it. They, said, uh, they assumed that it was awful. There was something wrong with it, or I don't know what they thought. So they they confiscated pro- this from me, and then saw my mom at the end of the school day. And uh, I, I wish I could remember the expression on her face at the time, but it was too it was too long ago. But I can't imagine she would have been particularly amused. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean you didn't let my child have his lunch? Done. <laughs> it's quite funny, really. But it's, yeah, I guess one thing to do is make sure the children are not too young so then choke on it. <laughs> yeah, we, we had it as teething. Um, yeah, no, that was, we didn't have teething rings, it was biltong. We had biltong, <laughs> that's what we had. Oh, that sounds amazing. <laughs> which which I think is biltong. why we're now actually addicted to it. Oh, I know, it, it's, it, I said it's one, of those, it's one of those things that if you're into it and you like it and you make it, you'll, you'll, always, you'll, you'll always know that and you always make it because it's, it's just a, a fantastic way just to... Mm. To, to preserve the meat that you harvest, and I said it doesn't have to be beef. It could be venison. It could be. I've pigeon. seen shark actually. Yeah. Oh no. In fact, I've had shark. Have you? Had, I haven't yeah, had. Yeah. It. it was in. Um. You know, when you go to some of the restaurants in South Africa, they have the little bowl. Little bowl of mm. meat, and it could be something, and they had um, shark in that. So I guess oh, you could nice. use other fish, I suppose. I, to be honest with you, if you process it right, you can do anything almost. Yeah. It's it's one of those things you can just experiment with and. And some some might taste good, some might not so taste good. But it's yeah, it's it's definitely a good way to. I've had flying ants, not as biltong, but just not as biltong. I've eaten flying ants as well, fried flying ants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I ate a worm once when I was a child. <laughs> I tell you what, what I've counts. had in this country is uh, a dock and grub. Oh, oh, hang on a second. One of my friends is going. I'm just going to say goodbye. No, no, I no worries. You do that. Week. <laughs> no, no, that's okay. We're, we're not going to cut that out. We'll just we'll just leave it in. We we know that. Well, we've actually disturbed you from your sort of long weekend of your thirtieth birthday, which is you know quite a milestone. So uh, taking yeah, the, no, the time yeah, out. Yeah, no, I've got to thirty, so that's great. You know, it's it's <laughs> an achievement in life. But I've had a great bunch of friends with me out this weekend because I've had yeah, Rob, Rob Crampton and Craig from Best Fox. Oh, it was Rob, though, was he? 
Yeah, yeah, he's upstairs now or something. I think we've all got a bit fuzzy heads this morning. <laughs> um, so Rob was there and, and Craig, and they've enjoyed themselves. So then I've got uh, my friend Hunter Eddie. Um, oh, yeah, I know. And I, I don't know him well, but I obviously I've spoken to Eddie a few times and also um, we actually bumped into him at the British Shooting Show too. Yeah, he's like my gay best friend. Uh, I'm not <laughs> sure if he's gay or not, but I love him anyway. So um, <laughs> it's him. And then um, David Wright and Andy Crow came here. They did a bit of filming. They went. Um, Healy and Jason from Shooter King were here as well for dinner last last night. And so we've had a, we had a, a really good mix of people. And a couple of pics of my friends who have never really been shooting pigeons that much. So it's been a, a quite a good mixture there. Just uh, since you mentioned Shooter King, it's not a it's a brand that I only saw arrive maybe last year. Start what, what last was year? this? What did they do? Shooter King. Yeah, they make clothes. they've been around for a few years, yeah. but really, um, maybe with the help of um, field sports channels, stuff, it, is, it tends to be a bit more common knowledge now. Hmm. But you've uh, are you a sort of pro staff for them, or what's your involvement there? Yeah, I'm a brand ambassador for them, um, and they're quite happy with the work I've done along with Field Sports Channel and Off Camera as well. Um, they, uh, the couple of, uh, well, he, Healy, um, who's based uh, just around Birmingham Way, he's, he, he's designed some of his clothing that's, the quality is amazing. Um, I was very surprised, but wearing, wearing other competitive brands beforehand, um, compared to what they've got, they've really got the quality nailed down, and I've used it in Scotland, Norway, Hungary, um, and just any, a lot of places in the UK, and it's, it's, it's it's really really good 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 gear. I can't you know I can't fault it honestly, and that's not just me saying that as a brand ambassador and trying to put a tick in the box. It's it's um, something I'm very pleased about and quite honoured to be part of. Is it you, you can pick it up in retail shops now? Can you? Yeah yeah you can pick it up if you go on their website. Um, I've been off the head, but just Google. I'm sure if you Google Shooter King, you'll find it. Yeah, yeah you'll you'll come across you'll come across um you'll. You'll come across their page and it's, and he'll and show you where the distributors are and stuff. They've got quite a big market in Germany. Uh, uh, they're just starting in America now. They're uh, all the main shows, and a lot of people are really taking taking notice of um, of how how good it is. And they've got you know they've got clothing for all types of weather um, scenarios and stuff. And they really listen to um, the public and what pe- the, the, their customers and what people want to change and like and they listen to, to things from me the like, likes of me Paul Childley who's another brand ambassador oh yeah I know Paul yeah. and they, they just want honest feedback all the time of how they can improve their products and you know you can't really ask much more than that and they, whatever you ask them to do they'll pretty much do it that's cool so they they really are good in that respect and they listen to the hunter they listen to the people who use them most and they and they, uh, they, they make it they make it for us Cool. Yeah, well, a brand that not everybody knows about. So, check it out if you're looking at uh, clothing because it uh, they might have something that fits the bill, I guess. Yeah, definitely. And definitely. Uh, well, while we're talking about kit, I mean, you, you obviously you you listed a reeled off a few countries that you've been hunting in over the last wee while. What other kit is your mainstay that you you won't go places without? Okay. Um, it, it, it depends. It depends with the country where you go into, whether <laughs> whether it's cold or, or hot. Mm-hmm. But um, my kit-wise, I always take my big my big green duffel bags and put the appropriate kit in there. I take my my uh, my binoculars with me. Um, most time, if, if I'm if I'm deer stalking, wild boar shooting, or or, or whatever, it's, it's always nice to have a 
it's something that you can, you know, to, to visualise properly what you're looking at. I always um, have binos on me. Yeah, I've got a good knife. I've got, I've got a, actually, it's all about knives. I've got a fantastic knife made for me for my 30th. I saw a uh, picture of that. That looked amazing. Yeah, it's, I'm, I'm so, so pleased with it. It's, um, it's basically a guy in New Romney where my parents live on the, on, on the Kent coast. Um, and he does all the game, CLA and all the other game fairs. And he's a very talented man. And what I, what I wanted was a, a knife that's going to be a lifelong, a lifelong um, a thing for me. So I went to him with my first fallow buck antlers I got years ago. And I, and I said, Chris, can you make me a knife? Um, that I will have for the rest of my life, pretty much. Mm-hmm. And he said, yeah, sure. So he showed me a selection of blades he has from normal steel, uh, carbon steel, um, uh, stainless steel, and Damascus and so on. And I really like a good Damascus blade. Oh, they're beautiful, aren't they? Yeah, and the way the steel is folded. And <clears throat> so I went for an Alabama Damascus. It's kind of a, a darker Damascus steel, and the pattern's amazing on it. And it's made in Alabama, and you get, and you get shipped over. And it's, and it's kind of... According to Chris, Chris's words is kind of the Rolls Royce of Damascus. Really? So, I he had he had one of these blades, and then I wanted the fallow antler with it, and then he put a topping on it with a, with a moose antler as well, creamy moose antler, which I was happy with because I shot I was out for moose last year in in um, Norway, and I absolutely love moose. I love the way they are, amazing, fascinating creatures. So I had a little bit of moose topping on that, and it's got some beautiful mosaic pins in it, and it's got a fire seal as well for when I do my bushcraft and light fire. Yeah, we use them a yeah. lot. Uh, brilliant. It, it's one of the. It's a tool that when we got the knife, we well we knew we were going to use it, but we didn't realize how much we'd be using it. Yeah, for everything, it's good, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I mean everything from lighting my uh, my MSR petrol stove, which we have if we can't light a fire, to actually lighting fires. It's brilliant. I don't even carry match or light lighters with me anymore. No, it's exactly. Once you, once again, it's one of those skills. Once you've got it, you know how to use it, and it's by your side. It's a great asset to have. And it can't get well if it gets wet. It doesn't matter. That's the beauty of it. Well, I have to say, me and Byron have struggled before when we thought, you know, we'll be fine, and then it's been raining for four weeks solid, <laughs> and nothing is dry. Oh <laughs> yeah, that is different. It's one of those challenges you have to try and find something dry or dry off or. Or, or something, or find some shelter to do it. Because it, yeah, once it gets starts to get a bit wet, then you're, it's a it's a massive challenge. What we do is uh, we we have a little leather pouch that we carry in our rucksacks that has mm-hmm. stuff stuff we collect. Yeah, so like cotton wool grass is awesome. That, that's a brilliant yeah. lighting lighting fuel and a bit of old man's beard, and you just stick it in the pouch. Every time you see it, you just grab it, stick it in the pouch, and. Yeah, you just have to keep doing that. I'm just, actually running just pretty low right now. Just for clarification, we haven't like snipped off an old <laughs> man's beard and shoved it in our leather pouch. Yeah, <laughs> the yeah the, the the I think it's a fungus that grows on the trees. Old man's beard. That's what I'm referring to. Yeah, not <laughs> not yeah, literally an old man's beard. Um, <laughs> well, uh, saying that, I shaved off my beard the other day, so I'm kind of got just I've got. Um, stubble right now. I don't think I'd recognise you without it. a beard. I don't think I've ever do, seen a picture you of you without a beard. Do you think that your beard, if you were in need and you would had light. a knife, would light? Uh, I don't know. Hair? I, yeah, I'm not it sure. kind of just smolders. It doesn't really yeah, do much. I, I, don't yeah, think, I, think I don't it think smolders and stinks, to be honest with you. It does stink. <laughs> Burning hair is never good. <clears throat> I used yeah. to... I used to think that uh, when, I, when I was little and I started t- uh, uh, tying flies, the vast majority of the flies that you tie when you start are just rubbish. And my quick solution to getting rid of the, the hair and hackle and everything was to burn it off. And, of course, that's, that stinks. 
But what I didn't appreciate at the time was when you burn it off and it gets really hot is you actually ruin the temper on the hooks. <laughs> so, oh, I, <laughs> so I ended up with loads of hooks and, and lost fish and not being able to work out why the hell all my hooks were straightening, but that was the reason. So top tip, don't burn oh. the hair off your uh, flies if you want to start again and use the hook. That's a good tip. Do you do you fish actually, Kai? Um, I used to, when I, I, to be honest with you, I don't much at the moment. Um, I do love, I do like fishing. Um, I, I, I've, I've never taken interest in in coarse fishing or like carp fishing because I can't really eat it. Really, well, yeah. you can, but it's found upon. We, we've, um, eat, we've eaten pike. Yeah. Yeah, pike the, I, pike. Yeah, pike. Pike. Pike's lovely. Um, I was just talking about mainly, and you can eat carp as well, but if you go to someone's prize carp lake and stuff. Yeah, they won't appreciate it if you no. take out their 25-year-old carp. So yeah. I like, I've, I've done a bit of fly fishing, trout fishing, um, and I've done a little bit of salmon, but not much, and not got anything, so that's, that's still on my bucket list. Well, you'll have to. We, we've got some pretty good salmon rivers up here, so if you happen to be up this way and the, and the water's right, that's the key. You've got to get. Uh, yeah. They're all spate rivers here, so the water has to be right. But uh, yeah, later on in the year, it's, you've got a pretty good chance of hooking in. So, in fact, I was looking at some reports the other day, and the Ness, uh, where Daryl's actually heading this weekend, is fishing incredibly well. There's been some guys up there got some fantastic salmon, but uh, a lot of the rivers now are catch and release, so you know you can't you can't actually end up eating them. So that might go go slightly against the the ways of uh, fishing and hunting for you. Oh, nice. Yeah, well, what, what was it? I have to come up then and we'd have to uh, film an episode of Cooking and Eating and uh, I'll have to come and see, yeah. come and visit you. That would be good. Yeah, I know we could do that and go and set out a camp in the forest somewhere and cook some fish and some deer and make pheasant sausages. Pheasant That's, sausages? Well, as, you, as, as you know, my girlfriend's Scottish anyway, so I can drop her off on the way up. <laughs> oh, she's she's not invited. Yeah, she? uh, we'll, we'll it was an off. open invite, but yeah, okay, you can get rid of her if you want. <laughs> we it'd, won't it'd tell. Be, her. It'd be a boys' trip. Yeah, a boys' <laughs> trip. No, and in terms of uh, hunting this year, uh, you've said what your kind of plans are, sort of business-wise, and the direction you want to take. But do you have any any big hunts this year? But anything bef- before oh, you answer sorry. that? Before I forget the question, I was going to ask you, you: What's moose like? Do you like it to eat? Uh, yeah, I I really like moose. It's it's um, it's has it got a quite it's got quite a beefy flavour to it. I think um, the moose that I've had um, again depends how long you've hung it for that is is not that strong. Um, especially calf, it's almost it's almost like British rosé veal. I would say mm. um, really 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 nice, really tender, um, good for frying steaks and everything else like that. It was I was pleasantly surprised. But uh, yeah, mooses I do like moose quite a lot. Hmm. Well, there you go. You have to try it now. Well, yeah, we might be going to Norway this year. Yeah, actually, it looks like we are. Oh, it's, it's amazing. It's expensive, but mm. it's amazing. Yeah, no, I'm very much looking forward to that because I've actually not hunted any of the Scandinavian countries before or visited them. Not, I've never been to them, so it'll be it'll be an amazing experience all around. I, I've been to them, but uh, it was mainly drinking, so I know how expensive <laughs> it was. Yeah, the, the yeah, beer is expensive. I, I know a lot of Norwegians like to drink as well. <laughs> it was, I think when I, when I was there, and that was a few years ago, that was about eight pounds a pint. I know, but it's, it's probably not far off now. I had um, I had a bit of an experience. Oh, was it just after? Was it just probably just before Christmas? I think it was. I went over to uh, Norway at my friend's birthday, and uh, triggered the guy that you've seen on Field Sports Channel with the reindeer and stuff. It was mm. his birthday, and we had a, we went we went deer deer stalking because he's he's on his own um, island out there. 
say, it's not his island, the island he lives on. He manages a deer, the red deer there, and he's got a deer farm and so on. But we had a lot of friends come over to his big house. There's lots of food and drink. We cooked amazing food and ate we were like kings. It was amazing, but they, they said to me, Kai, you've got to try one of our specialities. It's called Lukefisk. Okay. And, oh, okay, yeah, why not? This sounds, I'll eat anything. Sounds lovely. It's, it's um, what can I describe? It's, it's, it's cod. It's cod that's been put in live solution for, for quite a long time. And it kind of breaks it down and gets it almost like gelatinous. <laughs> and then you have to okay. put it in, they put it in like almost like in a water bath to heat up. Right. To get it nice and warm, and they serve it with mushy peas. You're not selling think, it to me, no, I'm it's, 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 not think, picturing what it. I'm get, what, what I'm getting at is I've mushy peas, which are very nice, a sweet potato mash, which is very nice, and it's all kind of stodgy. Um, and they were lapping it up, they were loving it, laughing, drinking. And I had a few ciders and stuff by this point, and some rum. And um, I sat down, I looked at it, and I thought, oh, this is going to be interesting. And two minutes later, it was all over the kitchen floor. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, it just didn't sit very well in my stomach. I mean, it, it, for a lot of people, it's nice, but it's one of those things, one of those foods that you just think, what what am I eating? Yeah, <laughs> yeah they, they do like some strange things over there, actually, and I think a lot of it has to, if, if you take it back far enough, it's uh, their Viking heritage and the yeah, preservation of meat and how they used to preserve stuff for the long voyages while well, they were raping and pillaging. There's a, lot, there's a lot of fish that are kind of fermented fish yeah. over in Scandinavia that they like to eat and stuff like that, and Iceland, the places like that, and it's 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 one of those traditional things that um, outsiders <laughs> don't tend to eat much of or that can't palate it very well. Yeah, I think you probably maybe have to grow, have grown up with it. I think I, I discovered the other day that uh, I'm the only thing that I've known that I'm allergic to throughout my life is cat hair. It kind of just makes me snuffly. But yeah. I was at somebody's house uh, not that long ago. And I had a chocolate pudding, which was awesome. It was really rich, but it tasted amazing. But it yeah. had um, spirulina in it, which is a natural sweetener. And uh, I am clearly very allergic to spirulina because within about five minutes of me eating it, I could, like you just said, you, I could feel that it wasn't sitting very well. And yeah, uh, yeah. I, after an hour, I was absolutely fine. But my, unfortunately, my the beautiful roast dinner that I just had ended up in the garden. <laughs> Oh, nice. Definitely your body's way of telling you you need to get this out. If yeah, you're feeling it's just Ill a strange thing. It's just, uh, yeah, I mean, I, now I know. So, Yeah, it's, it's just one of those life lessons, isn't it? <laughs> no, I, I, we got distracted before. I can't yeah, remember sorry. why. No, no, it wasn't actually the question about hunting. So I want to go back even a little bit further than that when you were talking about knives. Because I was having yeah. this discussion with somebody the other day. I put up a picture of, um, oh, well, first of all, what is the na- the full name and details of the guy you were talking about who made the knife, just so people can go and check him out? Right. It's a guy called Chris from English Handmade Knives. And if you look at his website, um, he has a few samples and selections of them. A lot of his knives are based around names around the local area, so Dungeness and Lid and stuff oh, like nice. that. But um, he has amazing different types of wood and finishes on, on his knives. But if you need anything particular, then he will make it for you and... Um, I, I think for what he makes, it's quite reasonably priced because he makes he makes the sheath himself. It's sewn together. It's the leather's cut, sewn. It's dyed and it's molded to your knife mm-hmm. when you get it across. So it's not just a generic sheath. It's it's handmade. That's nice. Tailored to your knife. And my the 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 phalaranta that I have has a slight curve to it because I'm left-handed and it curves 
and it, and it and it curved round perfectly in my hand because I went round there and he measured my hand wow. and he and he and he took took the right part of the antler that was going to fit my hand the best and he's made something that's custom fit to my hand as well. Mm, I was but sorry, that's sorry, Chris no. from English Handmade Knives. Okay, cool. We'll uh, I'll we'll Google that and then uh, stick the link in the in the description for this. I was having yeah. a discussion with somebody the other day. I put up some pictures of some cu um, custom knives actually, and there was somebody commented saying, you know, I, you know, they're lovely, but I couldn't justify the price. And they weren't ex extortionate, but, you know, any custom knife is going to cost more than a 12-pound Mora, uh, which yeah. are also excellent knives, uh, especially for the money. And you don't mind if you lose them. But, and I was trying to explain uh, briefly in a comment about if you have, if you have this thing about um, blades, you know, whether that be axes or knives, then yeah. it is just, it is incredibly satisfying to own them and use them and utilize them yeah. as they were intended. And you get more satisfaction using, you know, something which is beautifully made and crafted than you would get just from, you know, a generic plastic with a rubber handle blade, which will do exactly the same job, but it doesn't feel the same. And I, I get, I'm, I can tell from how you've, you know, you've taken the time to describe this knife that you've been made that you probably feel, feel the same. But it's, it's a hard one to explain to people who don't have any kind of connection with blades, but I've always had a thing for them. No, yeah, it's for me. Like for ages, I was under the impression of same as what a lot of people think. I've got more knife. It's mm. brilliant. I love my more knife, and I use it. I use it all the time, and I will still use it. And why do I need to spend a fortune on a knife? Or but after looking at it for a while, it's it's something of sentimental value to me. Exactly. Now yeah. it's a present. I've designed it. It's a lifelong present. I'm not likely to lose it in a field because it means so much to me. Um, if I'm going rabbit shooting in the night doing pest control, I'll take my Mora knife. Mm -hmm. um, if I'm likely to be doing things a lot in the dark or doing other things, but if I'm going out deer stalking and it's I need to cut things up into butcher or do, or do something, then I'll, I'll take my, my good knife. So the Mora knife is, is a good all-rounder, and if you lose it in the field for 10, 12 pounds... You're not going to cry too much, are you? You're not you're not going to uh, you know you're not going to lose sleep, but for something that that's going to be with you, and I'd like to think that I'll have it for all my life and be able to pass this knife down to to my kids and future generations mm. because it's it means a lot to me. So yeah. there is there is a difference, and it's and it, you know it depends on the way you look at it. But for me, um, I'm I'm really really pleased about the knife, and um, I just know that's going to serve me well. Yeah, it's like. I, I kind of see it like a snapshot into a memory. You know, if you've got... Yeah. Uh, so I, exactly what you said, if I'm doing something which is, you know, if I'm culling rabbits or whatever, I'll, I'll do exactly... I have a, a Mora one that I keep in my bag that I, I, I take when I'm doing such activities, which is in the Land Rover. But if I know that I'm going stalking or I'm going over to Africa and I'm hunting there, I always take a knife that means something to me. And then it, yes. as the years go by and you take that knife out of your drawer again to go and do something else, you get those little snippets of memories of places you do, you've yeah. been, things you've done with that knife. And uh, for me, that's just so important. And it's, it's almost like uh, you know, putting something on the wall, putting a head on the wall. I mean, it means nothing to me in terms of size, but it means a lot to me in terms of the memory. And I, you know, I catch a glimpse of the odd thing. I, I don't have very much on the wall, but I catch the odd thing of, uh, the odd glimpse of something on the wall, and I just remember, and it's a bit like having a picture on there, a, a knife system. Oh no, definitely, yeah, definitely, and it is, as I said, it's to me, it's of sentimental value now. So it's, 
it means it means it means a lot more. So no, it's good. I wanted to ask you a couple of things uh, out with the sort of the the um, what you might see as normal for. I, I'm really struggling to spit my words out here. That was pathetic. <coughs> Let me try again. I'm gonna. I wanted to ask you a couple of questions out with the sort of the cooking and uh, focused hunting world. Things that we've been yeah. discussing recently and things that are in the news. Um, did you did you catch the uh, piece on Country File about beavers? Uh, it must have been two weeks ago about I, the damage. I, I heard something briefly on it. I didn't look. I didn't hear it properly. No. Well, we've uh, there was a beaver trials been going on for a little while on the west coast, uh, but they've been kind of illegally reintroduced uh, into the Tay system, which isn't very far from us here. And they've been yep. causing quite a lot of problems in the surrounding agriculture. Basically, they've been cutting down all the trees that the farmers have been planting and have been obviously paid with grants to, to plant over the last however many years. Oh, and, yes, yeah. yeah, so it's actually becoming a problem now. And I was just wondering what your th thoughts were on you know, the reintroduction of a, a species like that. Obviously, that one hasn't been done uh, strictly... The way that it should have been done. <laughs> well, I've heard beaver taste good. I've heard that too, actually. You haven't <laughs> had a chance I, to I, eat I, it. I actually saw a post yesterday, and I can't remember who it was, that said off beaver hunting today. I think they were in another part of the world, but they, they do it in uh, Sweden a lot, don't they? Yeah, they do. They're still, still doing, I think, they, I think they're doing Scandinavia, and I know definitely um, in Canada and places like that. It's the, the pelts did, did hold quite a good value, so a lot of the trappers used to trap mm. them and stuff, and they were, they were you know, they, they were they they gave people an income for for many years, um, but re reintroducing it in, back into the environment, it's it's always a risk because that environment's now settled without a species there. Yeah. And then you then you put something in, and then you, almost you can almost disrupt the balance again. Um, without proper research looking into, it, I can I can give a a proper answer. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. I just wondered what you're sort of off the top of your yeah, head. Opinion. But, but I think I, what what you me, said. I, I always like the idea of re reintroducing some kind of species because it's, for me, it's quite exciting. But I'm thinking of my point of view and not from a farmer's point of view or mm. the forestry or whatever. I'm just thinking, wow, there's beavers in Scotland now. Wow, wow, I think you know, think about putting wolves in and and this and that. I think, wow, are they going to put bears there at some point? I don't know, but it'd be cool to see a bear. But as, as I'm being ripped out my tent. <laughs> in yeah. 60 years time that's just my my point of view I'm, I'm down in the south of England and mm. I just think it'd be cool to have it but it's you know for for people who who, who live their lives and work in these areas it, you, sometimes you've got to think about them because it's their livelihood and it's what makes their living yeah no I think that's actually a, a very pragmatic approach and I think not a lot uh, not enough people think of it like that and for you to be able to detach yourself from it and say well I, I live miles away from it I would love to see it but actually, you know, think about the people who have to live with it every day. Uh, you know, I think exactly. that that's how it does need to be looked at. And we, we're seeing the result of uh, the beavers now, which is that there is no current sort of control system, although they, they can be shot um, because they're uh, still classed as uh, a non-native species because it's been so long since they uh, yeah. were actually here in the wild. But at the moment, there is no plan. And at the moment, they are causing a lot of damage. And they were on that country file um, episode, which was uh, actually quite good, they showed some evidence of where beavers had dammed particular areas of the river. And when we had those very big floods um, back at the start of the year, although they yeah. undoubtedly caused a huge amount of damage anyway, it was exacerbated by some of these dams that they had made where new channels had been cut through rivers, which 
new channels being cut through fields, sorry, uh, that yeah. wouldn't otherwise have been. And you could see like huge bowls out of the fields. Uh, and the, the farmer was explaining that this was as a result of the way that it had been diverted because of uh, beaver dams slightly further upstream. So yeah, you you got to take everybody into it, everybody into exactly, account. Yeah, yeah, because it's not fair on the people who, again, who who've been making a living and living li- living there and have, have to start putting up with with this dif- difficult challenges from from these species that have been reintroduced. Mm. We've actually just uh, it was released yesterday. yesterday yeah. Uh, was the Lynx podcast. Well, it won't be yesterday, Paul. No, again. <laughs> it's yesterday for you, again. Yeah. Uh, right. Yeah, and that was all about the reintroduction of Lynx, uh, which is a current consultation which is ongoing. Um, it's it a long podcast. It's two hour, over yeah. two hours long. Uh, wow. But <laughs> it, yeah, but I mean, this really did go into depth into the trial and the reintroduction of Lynx. And exactly what you were saying, you know, the, the implications for the people who have to live with it. Uh, and the major conflict there is, uh, in term- from an agricultural point of view, is sheep farmers, as you can imagine. But another conflict which I don't think enough had been made of uh, was actually the predation on rhodia. Yeah, and the financial implications as well yeah. for stalkers. Yeah. Uh, but we, we yeah. won't go over that again because uh, there's a whole podcast dedicated <laughs> to that. For another few hours. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's a big podcast, that one. Yeah, I think so. Um, no, just uh, to kind of wrap up, just to go back to something I asked you earlier, but we, we ended up getting sidetracked again, was uh, big big hunts or trips coming up for you in the next 12 months? Oh, right. Um, for me, I'm, I'm planning on going back to Norway. Um, again, to go uh, stalking over there. Um, possibly out to Sweden uh, for Driven and Hungary out for Driven. Definitely going back to Scotland again in November for a month on the West Coast for oh, a nice. year for a week with some friends. And as far as it, things will always change. That's, that's the plan at the moment. But mm. you never know. There might be some more exciting locations coming up. Do you have anything high on your high on your wish list? Um, on my on my wish list, I would I. I would like I would like to go back out and do moose again, but I've I've already done that. Um, I want to go to Alaska. Mm, that looks amazing. Experience experience more out there. Whitetail in America. Um, of course, South Africa only for um, uh, antelope and kind of species. I'm not interested in in a exotic. Elephants and lions, and <laughs> I mean, given that you can eat them, is there any reason for that? What, what, not not being interested in hunting them yourself? It's um, money. <laughs> well, okay, if money if money was no if money wasn't um, a problem, I would, I would I would I would eat a lion. Yes, um, I'm, I'm I myself I'm not a trophy hunter, so um, well I can understand for some people. For me, it's I like. I like eating and harvesting. So if there was, you know, lion steaks, I would eat lion steaks and stuff. But I would like to know what it tastes like before I did it and have good reason for doing it. I wouldn't just do it to put it on my wall. If you know yeah, yeah, I mean. no, so I get your point. So if there, if there was an opportunity to do it and there was a, uh, which there always should be a justification for doing it, whether population control, problem line, issue, yeah. problems with elephants, then you, you would do it. But you, like like most of us who are hunters as opposed to trophy hunters, there has to be a justification for it. Yeah, I, I just 
you mean stay on turn. I'm, yeah, I'm not a trophy hunter. I, I wouldn't go out pay lots of money to take take a, a, a lion. Um, there is reasons that you know these people do keep do 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 keep, do keep uh, some of these species alive. In a, in oh, a, no, for you know, sure, yeah. but for me it is about I like you know I like to hunt and cook and harvest and so if it if it tastes good as justification for doing it, I wouldn't purposely go out there and do it just to just to shoot a lion. Yeah, no, we we've covered uh, trophy hunting um, quite a bit in the podcast, and uh, you can anybody listening can uh, hear our our views and opinions on that. But it's uh, we we you know we do believe that whether you want to do it or not, it's a very important part of helping to maintain the species, especially in a in a country like Africa, and it, it funds a lot of the work that's done over there. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. A personal personal opinion on why you actually want to go and shoot something is a is a very different thing, and we we've talked about that before as well. Yeah, but, of course. No, that's brilliant. Well, Kai, thank you so much for joining us this morning, and I really hope you have an excellent weekend. And uh, I mean, it, it has to be the case that if it's your thirtieth, I'm expecting another foggy head, probably at least Saturday, Saturday I morning and so, Sunday yeah, morning. I think me and my girlfriend, a few friends, are off to London. There's a, there's a thing in London called Street Feast, which is great if you like, if you like good food, and um, you just want to have a good time. It's all these amazing small, small companies that make the most amazing food there would be like 12 hour smoked beef brisket nice. or like is it, is it a festival a food festival is it it's not a festival it's it happens every weekend oh okay um and it's i think it's i think it's friday saturday um and there's different locations in London throughout the year so you have to go on a website and the place we're going to talk a house tomorrow and it's like an abandoned building and you go in there there's graffiti on the walls and stuff there's there's a dj or there's music and there's um Amazing food. There's craft American craft beer stand. There's like a whiskey and cocktail bar and champagne. There's those cater for everyone. All types of different food. So the plan is, you go there, you buy different items of food throughout the night. Where it'd be like, it might be Indonesian masaman curry or rendang or something. And then you then you'll go and get yourself um, like a lobster burger roll. And so on. So it's really like high-end quality food. I like that. So th- this this happens throughout the year in London. Yeah. So if you ever go to London on a weekend, like you have to go and see it because if if you like your food and you like your drink and your whiskey and everything else like that, it's it's definitely worth a visit. You go there for the whole night. It's a good company of friends, and then you just end up spending the whole night there having a great time. That sounds that it sounds does really sound nice. good to yeah. me. It does. We will keep that in mind when we if we head to London again. Brilliant! I'll send you the link as well. <laughs> yeah, no, cool. Well, yeah, do that, Kai. Thank you so much, and uh, yeah, have a good, have a great weekend, and happy thirtieth for when it comes. Thank you very much. Take care, guys. Cheers. Thank you very much for tuning into the show. Join us in one week's time. Where at the beginning I said that me and Byron are going to bring you an extra show just because we have a lot of stuff that we want to talk with you guys. Stuff that's been happening in the news that you might not know about. And also, hopefully by then, we'll have some pretty awesome prizes to start giving out. Now, our film has been released for just over a week now, Pace Brothers Into the Wilderness, and it's had a tremendous response. And if you have not seen it already, we're in the first episode, we are hunting stags uh, on the, the Isle of Skye. And I tell you what, it was it was really hard work. There was a few questions on online on how we did things. Um, I think some people didn't believe that me and Byron... Uh, actually carried all the kit up there and brought it down ourselves uh one of the questions was you know how did you drag the beast off the hill uh 
with all the equipment that we had. And it's quite simple, really. What we would do is that I would walk down with the kit, um, you know, two, three hundred meters down the hill. I would then walk back up the hill uh, towards where Byron was and then help him carry the, the beast further down. And then when we caught up with the kit, we would then just move that further down the hill and so on until you repeat it. So I ended up walking the hill twice because I was going back and forward. Uh, you know, a valid a valid point. We will be releasing at some point a behind the scenes because we did actually film quite a bit of um, content of that we didn't put in the film that was uh, yeah behind the scenes. So check that out on YouTube and it's also on Vimeo. Now this show can be downloaded on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and you can watch us on YouTube as well. SoundCloud over the last few weeks has really started to take off. So if you're listening on to SoundCloud, thank you very much. And yeah, keep the reviews coming in, guys. And I said uh, on last week's uh, podcast that it was uh, tell a friend about the podcast uh, month and that still stands. And we actually had a few um, emails in saying that they they told a friend. So thank you very much for, for telling. And thank you for everyone that's been sharing uh, the show over the last few weeks. You know, we had a massive response with the, the Lynx podcast and it became very relevant. You know, we, we did the show and within a week of recording, you know, the the topic of links was literally all over the news so yeah um you heard it here first remember that <laughs> now uh we'll see you in one week's time thank you very much for listening to the show this show is brought to you by the scottish Association. so yeah i'm losing my mind i'm losing my tongue now this show is brought to you by the scottish association for country sports <laughs>